politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Uh, Biden just wrapped up a speech in which he said that Russia, if they invade Ukraine, we won't hesitate to respond. He also said he won't send American troops to fight in Ukraine, but we won't hesitate to respond if Putin invades. It's a very confusing, confusing speech, I can tell you that. Uh, Good afternoon, welcome to the podcast. He just spoke, Biden just spoke for what, 11 minutes, I guess? About 11 minutes or so. Reading from a teleprompter. Taking no questions, of course, and walking out. This is news reports that Putin is standing down but there's conflicting reports around that. So I I don't exactly know what to tell you with that, but I do know, though, that it's very obvious uh, Biden is, well, he's weak. I mean, he's weak. The bottom line is this. I mean, right now, he should be going to Congress and asking Congress for a resolution of some kind is what he should be doing because nobody has faith in his leadership, none whatsoever. I I mean, I don't. Maybe you do. I, I doubt it, though. Not if you're listening to this podcast. I doubt you do. Biden is acting as if right now the world is going to come together and rally to stop Russia. That sounds a lot like World War III to me is what it sounds like when he says that. He says the world is going to rally. Make no mistake, the world's going to rally around Ukraine here. I, I don't. I, I don't really understand exactly what that means other than well, is that World War III? And if, if, if this is the case, then where's that resolution of war from Congress then, if this is what's going to happen? Uh, let, let me uh, also mention, too, Ukraine is not in NATO, as you know. Uh, and you know this, obviously. Biden says, while we will not send American servicemen to fight in Ukraine, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory with the full force of American power. Okay, now I, I understand that NATO is not part of, or Ukraine is not part of NATO. I understand that. Putin is not threatening any NATO countries. He's not threatening any NATO countries right now. So this, I don't even know, I think what Biden is essentially saying right now is we're going to have, NATO's going to rally around Ukraine, even though Ukraine's not a member. Because the world can't stand by as one country goes in and crosses another country's borders and then then takes takes it over. What Putin said earlier today is he said the United States uh, may not address the three fundamental Russian demands. Yeah, I guess they have there's, there's three fundamental Russian demands that I guess Putin said the United States is not addressing here. Uh, one thing I do know, though, is that we have allowed Vladimir Putin to become so powerful because he's making so much money on energy. Because the United States is willing to sit back and allow Vladimir Putin and others to, without question now, run the gambit on being the world's energy supplier. There's no, there's no doubt in my life about that. I think we can all agree and see that. So that just happened a few moments ago, and we'll see what all comes of this, obviously. And I wish I could give you more clarity. It's just the speech was not a clear speech. It was a threat, even though he kept saying he's not threatening. There, there are U.S. troops stationed in Europe. We've got Russian naval activity increasing right now. He says the world's going to come together if Russia invades Ukraine. That's a lot of potential death and destruction. Are, are the American people willing to go along with this is my question. Are you willing to go along? Have you decided that this is a good idea that's in America's strategic interest? Have you? Has the president made the case to you 
why this is in your strategic best interest. I mean, I understand he got up there and he read from a teleprompter, which was largely a threat to Putin to sound like a tough guy. I don't think Biden comes across like a tough guy, no matter how much he tries to. But do you feel like your interests here are being represented, that if your cousin, brother, son, daughter was called up to go and fight to stop Russia from invading Ukraine, or if Russia invades Ukraine, does that make... Do you feel like that's in America's best interest? And do you think the president has done an effective job of explaining that to you? Because I still don't know what's why I should give a damn. I really don't. I Look, I understand the point of a country invading another country. I get that. It's a bad thing to do. But I don't know why it's in my interest for my country to respond to that. And, and, and unfortunately, we live in such a myopic world today that somebody will come around and say, oh, so that means then you support Putin invading Ukraine. Oh, you're a Putin apologist. I, I'm not saying that. I don't want him to invade Ukraine, but do I also want World War III? No, and I don't know why I should want American blood spilled on behalf of Ukraine. Nobody has told me what's in my best interest about it. And I'm sad to say, unfortunately, I'm not sad to say, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but not sorry, that the reality is I I need to know this. If my country is going to go fight a war, I need to know what's in it for me, why I should want this to occur. This is where the legislative branch is supposed to come in and debate this and pass a resolution of some kind, which, again, is not happening, not even being asked to. What, what is, how does Congress feel about this? Does Congress, do our elected representatives want to go on with this and want to do this? Is this something that they want? It seems like the scope of congressional action on Ukraine has narrowed. There was going to be a robust sanction package. It's now basically a, a, a joint statement from Schumer and McConnell. This was just put out by uh, the Congressional Post reporter Mike DeBonis on Twitter, who said the scope of congressional action on Ukraine has um, narrowed. What was going to be a robust sanctions package has now been reduced to a forthcoming. But, but, but Putin doesn't give a damn about the sanctions. The sanctions don't matter to him. They don't matter to him. Now... <clears throat> Explain to me why I should want American troops to go and fight and fight Russia and, and, and Europe to fight Russia and this to potentially be World War III. Explain someone. Maybe maybe Biden answered that question today from the media. Let's see Biden uh, answering questions here. Let's. Mr. President, Mr. President, whether or not they are de-escalating. Are they behind the cyber attack, Mr. President? Got it? You feel better now? I do. I, all my questions are answered. Oh, now I know why it's in my best interest. Oh, I get it. Now I understand why I should want American blood and treasure to be spilled. And is that going to happen? Because he says now, he says not. he's not going to send American troops to go fight, but he's going to stand with NATO. So does that mean then if NATO goes in, see, this is what I'm wondering now. If NATO goes in to stop Russia, does that mean the United States is obligated to go in and help NATO? It certainly seems like it to me. Over at Reason.com, Americans are tired of war. They don't want one in Ukraine. According to a new YouGov Concerned Veterans for America poll, veterans and military families are most opposed to United States conflict with Russia. And before I even get into this, let me just point out, and forgive me if I've said this before, but I'm going to keep saying it because I wish it would catch on nationally. Article 1 of the Constitution requires Congress, the legislative branch, to declare war. But Putin is not standing outside of Brooklyn. He's not in South Philadelphia. There is no immediate threat to the homeland where the president of the United States should get to make this decision. I have a real problem 
with the expanded power of the presidency, where now the president is not only commander in chief, he gets to declare war. The president is not supposed to declare war. The Constitution is very clear about giving that power to Congress for a reason. So that we could debate these things. We have the War Powers Act if there is an imminent threat to the homeland. This is not an imminent threat to the homeland. Putin's troops are not standing outside the border of Canada waiting to attack us. We don't need Joe Biden to, to make a quick strategic decision. We need Congress to debate. And if they want to declare, uh, declare war, then so be it. If they don't, then so be it. But my point is, our elected representatives are supposed to make these decisions. Period. Ukraine's not even a NATO member. So you can't even argue that the commander-in-chief is doing what is required of him under NATO. Ukraine's not part of NATO. And I think the little back door that Biden's going to use is he's going to say, well, since NATO's going in, we have to go in too. And ultimately, we're going to wind up going in at the most because that's what always happens. Now, <clears throat> Biden has ordered American troops, obviously, to prepare for significant military action. We've ordered we've ordered uh, our people to come home. I think that speech Biden just gave was in many ways a threat to Russia. He says he's not going to put American boots on the ground, but again, I think there's the back door. But here's this new poll conducted by Concerned Veterans for America and YouGov. 49% of the general population does not favor the U.S. going to war with Russia if it invades Ukraine. Only 9% strongly favor U.S. military involvement to counter Russia, while 15% somewhat favor it. A little more than a quarter of respondents were not sure if the U.S. should go to war. Opposition to conflict came in at 44%. And 46% for independents and Democrats, respectively. For Republicans, opposition came in at 57%. And you know what happens, right? The minute you come out and say, you don't think we should go to war, what happens? You're a Russian hack. You're a, a Russian stooge. You're doing Putin's bidding, Putin's talking points. You get all that thrown at you. You get all that thrown at you. Among veterans surveyed, 60% oppose the U.S. war with Russia. For members of military families, the figure is 52%. Military family and veterans were also more likely than the general population to say there should be fewer troops stationed in Europe. A whopping 80% of veterans said European countries should spend more on their own defense rather than relying on the United States compared to 63% of military family members and 52% of the general population. I'll tell you what. I think... This is one of those moments where we can miss the presidency of Donald Trump in a big, big way. We did not come close to war when Trump was president. He kept telling Europe, you got to take care of yourself or you have to pay. OK, if you're going to if you're going to rely on us, you got to pay us. You remember that? We are in a position right now where not only Biden's weakness, but also the fact that because we we continue to act as we are the world's police, we're going to go in there, let Europe dial 911 and we're going to go in. Dan Caldwell, senior advisor to Concerned Veterans of America, says the results are unsurprising. Based on our interactions with people in the veteran community and the polling we've done over the past several years, we've seen pretty consistently high numbers of veterans being supportive of ending our current wars. Not starting new ones and being supportive of a less militarized foreign policy. Veterans and military families have a deep knowledge of the costs and implications of U.S. military adventurism. This community has borne the brunt of our wars for the past 20 years. I don't think it's surprising. They will be more wary than the general population of a new war, this time with a nuclear-armed Russia. American opposition to war with Russia is part of a greater trend on war weariness. The YouGov Concerned Veterans of America poll 
found that across the board, groups supported a full withdrawal from Iraq, including 58% of veterans and 55% of military families. A staggering 82% of survey respondents believe the current U.S. military engagement in the world should be reduced or stay the same. So I have to ask again the question, do, do you feel like if you are going to see your loved ones go overseas and fight over Ukraine, that the case has been made and you can understand right now why we're doing this. Do you feel that way? Because I have more confusion right now than ever before. I really do. I I have no clarity over the situation. The president does not seem interested in, in getting consensus from the American people. He does not seem interested in getting support from us. He does not seem interested in getting the support of Congress. And Congress doesn't seem to give a damn. Congress doesn't seem to give a damn. They don't seem to be turning around and saying, hey, pal, we make this decision, not you. We make this decision. As audio of uh, Biden's speech is posted, I'm, I may play some clips of you. Let, let, me, let me play uh, this clip from Biden here. But let there be no doubt. If Russia commits this breach by invading Ukraine, responsible nations around the world will not hesitate to respond. We do not stand for freedom. Where it is at risk today will surely pay a steeper price tomorrow. So as I understand that, If Biden says we're not going to send in troops, but we'll stand by NATO, that means that if NATO goes and fight, we we go and fight. Right? Isn't that, I mean, that's how I read it. That's exactly what I think what we'd be doing. This is Biden talking to the citizens of Russia here. We're not targeting the people of Russia. We do not seek to destabilize Russia. To the citizens of Russia, you are not our enemy. And I do not believe you want a bloody, destructive war against Ukraine, a country and a people with whom you share such deep ties of family, history, and culture. Do you want a bloody conflict? Defending Ukraine is the question. That's the question that I have for you. We're willing to make practical, result-oriented steps that can advance our common security. We will not sacrifice basic principles, though. Nations have a right to sovereignty and territorial integrity. I agree. But does that mean we fight to defend those nations? Is that what we do? Do we do that? Is that is that what the United States of America should do? I understand. I agree with sovereignty. I do. And I don't want Russia to invade. Do I want to go and fight Vladimir Putin, though? Do you? That's the question. That's the question. Do you? Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. All right, so you remember the time the media talked about how Trump was never spied on, right? And now we know he was, obviously. The lies that were told by the media, and it was really pathetic. Our friends over at the Media Research Center, they do great work over there exposing the liberal media and their lies. This is a little montage they put together of all the times the media said Trump was not being spied on. This begins by saying... Trump was spied on, but meanwhile, it's completely wrong. It did not. It did not happen. This was there was no spying. There was it's Pizzagate. The conspiracy gene is no more accurate than Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. No one was spying on the president through the microwave. No one spied on the Trump campaign. There was no spying. There was no spying. No spying. There was 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 no spying. Wow. 
by the way. There was no spying, of course. There was no spying. There was no spying on the Trump campaign. On the Trump campaign. It's been a year and a half. There, there was, was no spying on the Trump campaign. Of this crap. No spying on the Trump campaign. Which is a conspiracy theory. No spying on the Trump campaign. Facts matter. And, oh, by the way, no, there was no... There w- was no... No. No. No spying on the Trump campaign. Isn't that amazing how they all say the same thing over and over and over again? Like, literally, they all say the same, the same damn thing. Where... Where are the Democrats in the media concerned about the fact that a sitting president was spied on? Had they actually hacked into the office of the president of the United States of America and did? I mean, wh- wh- why is there no outrage over? Oh, I know why there's no outrage over this. Duh, I'm answering my own question. Do you remember Leslie Stahl, the interview Leslie Stahl had with uh, President Trump? I referenced this earlier. 60 Minutes. I'm going to play this little clip for you here. So The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. Well, there's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of course there is. No. It's all over the place. Leslie, Sir, they spied on my campaign and they got caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes, and we can't put on things we can't no, verify. You won't put it on because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on say. things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and, on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. No. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They spied on my campaign, they got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie, and you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. As a matter of fact, I don't know that. Okay. So- well, she doesn't want to know that. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. She, she doesn't want to know that. But now we know Trump really was spied on. Wall Street Journal opinion today. Trump really was spied on. Durham says techies linked to the Clinton campaign had access to the White House and Trump Tower internet data. Special counsel John Durham continues to unravel the Trump-Russia collusion story. And his latest court uh, disclosure contains startling information. According to a Friday court filing, the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign effort to compile dirt on President Trump reached into protected White House communications. The filing relates to Mr. Durham's September indictment of Michael Sussman, a lawyer who represented the Clinton campaign while he worked for the Perkins Cole law firm. Mr. Sussman is accused of lying to the FBI at a September 2016 meeting when he presented documents claiming to show secret Internet communications between the Trump Organization and Russia-backed Alpha Bank. The indictment says Mr. Sussman falsely told the FBI he was presenting this information solely as a good citizen, failing to disclose his ties to the Clinton campaign. The indictment revealed that Mr. Sussman worked with tech executive number one, who has been identified as Rodney Jaffe, formerly of New Star Incorporated. The indictment says Mr. Jaffe used his companies as well as researchers at a U.S. university to access Internet data, which he used to gather information about Mr. Trump's communications. This is what Durham says Jaffe did. Mr. Jaffe's goal was to create an inference and narrative about Mr. Trump that would please certain VIPs. Now, just breaking from this piece for a moment, who those VIPs are, that's, of course, the $64,000 question, as they say. Is it Hillary Clinton? We'll go all the way to Hillary Clinton. I think she's done after this. You know, I think she's done. I had lunch today with a buddy of mine who said he thinks she's going to wind up being the Democrat nominee in 2024. I, I think she's done. First of all, I don't think Democrats want her. But remember something, and this is what I've been saying every day, and I'm, I, I hate repeating myself, but sometimes in this business, you know, you have to do it. This is the Biden Justice Department doing this. John Durham works for the Biden Justice Department. He is paid by the Biden Justice Department. John Durham is leading a, an investigation with other prosecutors who all work for the Biden Justice Department. 
you know, the media wants you to think that Durham's over in the woods, like some crazy guy on this rogue prosecutorial witch hunt with no real authority. This is, this is the United States of America going after this campaign. This new shocker relates to the data Mr. Jaffe and his friends were mining. According to Friday's filing as early as July 2016, Mr. Jaffe was exploiting his access to non-public and or proprietary internet data, including internet traffic pertaining to the executive office of the President of the United States. The filing explains that Mr. Jaffe's employer had come to access and maintain dedicated servers for the executive office of the president as part of a sensitive arrangement whereby it provided Internet services to the White House. This is defrauding the government, you know. This particular charge is defrauding the government. That's the most minor of the charges, though, because there's a whole lot of big charges uh, potentially coming down the pike here. Mr. Jaffe's team is also monitoring Internet traffic related to Trump Tower and Mr. Trump's apartment on Central Park West. Donald Trump was spied on in every single place where he had a, a, a residence. You realize that? Every place. I'm sure they're probably also looking at Bedminster and probably Mar-Largo. White House communications are supposed to be secure, and the notion that any contractor, much less one with ties to a presidential campaign, could access them is alarming enough. The implication that the data was exploited for a political purpose is a scandal that requires investigation under oath. The filing suggests the data collection continued into the Trump presidency. Mr. Durham says that on February 9th, 2017, Mr. Sussman met with a second federal agency to provide an updated set of allegations and that these allegations relied in part on the purported Internet traffic that Mr. Jaffe and others had assembled pertaining to Trump Tower, Donald Trump's New York City apartment building, the EOP, Executive Office of the President, and a health care provider. Now, remember something, and as I break from this for a moment, uh, I believe Trump was spied on by elements of our government, and I've long said that. And again, like everything else where you've got the media all coming in and going, wasn't spied on, wasn't spied on, wasn't spied on, which, you know, wasn't, didn't come from a lab, didn't come from a lab, didn't come from a lab, debunked theory, debunked bunkum, blah, blah, blah. Like everything, this always is a pattern. And then eventually the truth comes out and they all move on and they just forget that anything happened. What's being done now is they're all acting as if not only did this not happen and Dorm's a nutbag, but um, the minute that Sussman came out and denied this, that became the story. Sussman denies this. So unless you're paying attention, you might be under the opinion that this that they're going, oh, it was all made up. Ah, they're already saying it was made up. Nobody is saying this was made up. Just for the record, no one is, other than Michael Sussman and his legal team, no one else is saying this is made up. But because we have a nation of idiots, unfortunately, they all parrot the same things. Clearly, that's what they're all saying today. Oh, no, no, that, oh, that, that was all made up. Ah, they already, they debunked that already. No, they didn't. This is going in federal court. This is going to be tried in court. <laughs> Nothing has been debunked yet. Now, look, in the pie, it's possible in the course of a trial it might be. But we are not there yet. And I think it's amazing that already uh, entities like MSNBC and CNN are already acting as if whatever Michael Sussman's legal team says, then that's those are the facts. And those are the facts. So Sussman denies it, so therefore it's denied. Trump's man at the DOJ is feeding a new Clinton conspiracy. That's the headline on MSNBC. That's the headline on MSNBC right now. It's <laughs> uh, just, a, just, a, just amazing. It's amazing to me. Let me continue here. 
Late Monday, a spokesman for Mr. Jaffe said in a statement that contrary to the allegations in the recent filing, Mr. Jaffe is an apolitical internet security expert with decades of service to the U.S. government who has never worked for a political party. The statement added that there were serious and legitimate national security concerns about Russian attempts to infiltrate the 2016 election and that respected cybersecurity researchers were deeply concerned about the anomalies they found in the data and prepared a report of their findings, which was subsequently shared with the CIA. Hmm. The filing says the new allegations Mr. Sussman provided claiming suspicious ties between a Russian mobile phone operator and the White House were also bogus. And that Mr. Sussman again made the false claim that he wasn't working on behalf of a client. Now, there's a lot of troubling questions here. How long was the spying going on? How long did it last? Who had access to what data was found? Who approved the access to White House data? And who at the FBI and the White House knew about it? And of course, the big question... Were Mrs. Clinton and senior campaign aides personally aware of this data trolling operation? So this is me. I believe that they needed help. That Somebody on the inside helped them do this. Somebody on the inside helped them gather all this data from the White House. It's too secure of a facility. It can't just hack into it. You need somebody's help on the inside. And I think that's what's going to be the next big revelation. And I've always known that I've not even known that I've suspected, I should say, I've always suspected the idea that forces within our government were spying on him. You know why I think that? Because they were spying on you and me. You know, again, it's 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 all the security tools that we gave them after 9-11 to keep us safe, which they then turned around and used and spied on us and then weaponized for political purposes. I'm not surprised by this in the least. I said this would happen, if you remember. I go back to to when I was on the radio, mostly at night, a 6 p.m. guy in PhD, and the times I get to go on when I wasn't bumped for women's high lie or uh, amateur um, dwarf tossing. <laughs> remember that segment? That was a good one. If you remember that one, anyway, uh, I used to say all the time, you know, all these this NSA stuff, because I was cheering when Edward Snowden made these revelations. And I was defending him, even though at the time people wanted him hang for treason. Hung for treason? Hung, right? Yeah. Uh, But I was glad all this came out because I I wanted to know what my government was doing against me and you. And I said at the time, you know they're going to weaponize this politically, right, and use it against us? Sure enough, I have no doubts that that's exactly what they did, and they did it to Trump as President of the United States. What can they do to you? Now, I think in, in, in hindsight now, most people agree that what Edward Snowden did was, was, was in our national interest to get all that information out. And I wish Trump had pardoned him. I really do. I wish That's one of my regrets of the Trump presidency is I wish he would have pardoned Edward Snowden on the way out the door. I know you may disagree with me on this. You may say he's a traitor. Or something. I, I, I think that sometimes as a patriot, you have to always be on guard against what your government is doing to you. And governments love to throw the P word at you, patriotism, to get you to shut up, sit down, and be a good little boy and girl. And they love they love throwing around the T word, terrorist, whenever you try to cross them. Think about parents at school board meetings being domestic terrorists and having to have the FBI involved to spy on them and find out what they're saying on social media and at these school board meetings under the guise of keeping everybody safe. That's the problem. Back to this piece. 
Mr. Durham's, so the troubling uh, investigations, obviously, Mr. Durham's revelations take the 2016 collusion scam well beyond the Steele dossier, which is based on an unvetted claim of a Russian emigre working in Washington. Those claims and the Sussman assertions were channeled to the highest levels of the government via contracts at the FBI, CIA, and State Department. They became fodder for secret and unjustified warrants against a former Trump campaign official and later for Robert Mueller's two-year mole hunt that turned up no evidence of collusion. I like witch hunt better than mole hunt. Along the way, the Clinton campaign fed these bogus claims to a willing and gullible media. And now we know it's operatives and private tech researchers that we, they, they monitored the White House. They monitored the White House communications. And I love this line. If you made this up, you'd be laughed out of a Netflix story pitch. It's so true. I said that today on the show. I said, you know, it's like if, if um, I came to you and I said something to the fact of, hey, I got this great idea for a play or a, or a, a, a show, right? I said, they're going to spy on a sitting president of the United States and go on and on about this and the campaign and everything. I, I, they would laugh me out of the room and go, this could not, you couldn't spy on the sitting president of the United States at all of his various residences. You couldn't do it. It's too secure. Stop it. It's a bunch of BS. What is this, a comedy? It is literally what happened. Literally what happened here. Let's see if Jen Psaki will get asked about this. The White House press briefing just started. Yeah, what those diplomatic efforts could be? Is this going to be more U.S. interaction? Could there be a face-to-face meeting with Putin? And then how would you define success under diplomacy? Is it as simple as no invasion, or are there broader goals you're looking for, given that everything is now on the table, or more things are on the table? Uh, sure. Well, on the first part, uh, you may have seen or not that our Secretary of State spoke with Foreign Minister Lavrov earlier today. Uh, the president spoke with uh, President Macron earlier today as well. I think the readout just went out to all of you, or it should be in your inboxes as well. And what he means by ongoing diplomacy is that it will continue uh, at the pace and urgency that you have seen from him over the last several weeks and from his team. And it, it, some of it will come from the president, some will come from high-level members of his national security team, uh, and some of it will come from our European partners, our NATO allies, uh, who we remain in very close contact with. In terms of engagement with President Putin, uh, you, as you know, he spoke with him on Saturday and he believes in the power of leader-to-leader uh, -leader diplomacy, uh, but I don't have a prediction of a next engagement at this point in time. And, and what about... What oh, sorry. Success? I wanted, sorry, I didn't get to that last part of your question. Um, you know, the, how the, we define success is, I think, how a lot of our European partners and NATO allies would define it, which would be an, uh, a de-escalation, uh, a proven de-escalation at the the border uh, of Ukraine, uh, where the Russians are pulling back their troops, uh, where they are making clear uh, to all, to the global community, to the media, to the public, uh, that they are not invading Ukraine and backing that up with actions. Go ahead. Thanks, Jen. Uh, following up on, on this energy question, in mm -hmm. terms of the impact on our energy, which the current president yeah. mentioned, and then the consequences here at home, what should Americans be prepared for? Worst case scenario, what should they expect if this happens? Well, I think what the president was touching on um, was the fact that um, if Russia decides to invade, there could be consequences here at home, um, and that could have an impact on energy prices. You know what else will have an impact on energy prices? The left's war on energy. Could, and, and by the way, the left's war on energy is propping up Vladimir Putin as we speak. That's what we're talking about here. Do you really? We were discussing World War Three here.
We are in the middle of discussing World War III. Freaking pandemic just ended, and now we got to deal with World War III. Oh, there's an outbreak of the bird flu, too. Highly, le- highly lethal bird flu found uh, in Kentucky and uh, other places now. Highly lethal bird flu. So we got that going for us, which is nice. The bird flu variant. Oh, fun times. To convey to the American people exactly what that could look like. One more on Russia. If President Putin decides not to invade, does President Biden consider that a victory? I think the world, the global community would consider that a victory. But oh, again, Biden will take a victory uh, lap, think, no um, doubt. What the president's view is and what the national security team's view is, is that this is ultimately up to President Putin. And every step we've taken up to date over the last weeks and even months to coordinate with our NATO allies, to uh, stay in, lock, in close touch with uh, leaders in Congress and members about what our plans are, to put together a, um, a crippling sanctions package, what we are doing is we're presenting the choice to President Putin. He ultimately is going to decide which path he chooses. Go ahead. Um, Jeff, I just wanted to uh, close the loop on um, a few things. So the the Ukraine has been experiencing a number of cyber attacks today. Um, A number of its banks were affected. The defense ministry was affected. Um, Has the United States attributed those attacks to Russia? Uh, I don't have anything on the attribution at this point in time. I know there have been a range of reports. Uh, What I can say is that um, we have been uh, in touch with the Ukrainians, uh, our allies and partners, uh, working with them to deter and respond to malicious cyber activity. Uh, We have also been warning for weeks and months, both publicly and in our engagements with uh, the Ukrainians, as well as our European partners, about the potential for Russia to conduct cyber operations in Ukraine, but I don't have anything more specific on attribution at this point. Okay, and just, you know, kind of moving a little bit into the realm of the hypothetical, there are a lot of steps that... Oh, boy. I know. There are a lot of steps that Russia (laughs) could take that are short of an invasion, but that are still, um, you know... All right, you know, I... (sighs) I mean, I, I, this may go on for hours. I don't want to keep you all day with this stuff. I think you've got the overview of what we're saying right now. Um, but here's the asking, actually, it's a good question about is Congress going to do anything? As, as being, you know, a separatist, uh, legitimately as separatist regions. Um, would the U.S. respond to any, any things like that with sanctions as you would to, uh, you know, an actual invasion? We have conveyed before, and I'll reiterate now, that we would be prepared to respond uh, with a range of malicious activities or actions that the Russians were to take. Okay, and then one more thing. I know that um, you, there's, you know, you've said that there's very little daylight with you and, and European allies on this issue. Um, the German Chancellor said today that um, Ukraine joining NATO is simply not on the table. It's not on an agenda item right now. Is that how you would characterize it from, from the White House? Well, I think as you've heard the President convey, and you just heard him convey in his remarks, uh, our view from the United States is that nations have the right to sovereignty, to territorial integrity, freedom to set their own course and choose who they associate with. So we, the United States, we're never going to pressure Ukraine or any country to join or not join uh, a global alliance. That is up to them and up to the uh, other members of NATO. Go ahead. Uh, thanks, Jen. Just, you, you say all <coughs> options are on the table. Let's be more specific on the possibility of a gas tax holiday. Would the White House support doing that? I have nothing to predict for you at this point, uh, but all All right, you know what? <clears throat> let's uh, let's uh, take a, a just a quick break there from that. I, I don't think there's going to be any new news that's going to come out of this. By the way, let me mention to you, as I'll monitor this for you in the background here, but this is the best because COVID headline I've ever seen in my life. Ready? Philadelphia Inquirer. COVID-19 has even ruined our feet. Foot pain is on the rise during the pandemic as more people go without supportive shoes at home or pick up a higher level of physical activity than normal. My feet, it's ruined my feet. 
Now, can I potentially get uh, the federal government to provide me massage benefits? Or how about a massage chair for all people? I think Bernie Sanders would agree to that. A massage chair for all. Uh, to massage my feet. Or maybe a personal masseuse. Hey, that could help the economy. Hire a bunch of masseuse. Is I... Stuck at home and out of work because of the pandemic, Timothy Hudson decided to tackle a news project, lose weight and get in shape. He dropped 100 pounds during the pandemic. Good for him by changing his eating habits, working out more, playing basketball with friends and running up to five miles a day. But his feet hurt. It was like a burning, pulling feeling. We're actually writing a story about people's feet during the pandemic. This is how stupid the media is today. Foot pain has been on the rise during the pandemic as people working from home kicked off their supportive shoes in favor of flimsy slippers and flip-flops. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I think to myself, could the media get any, any dumber? Could, is it possible? In March 2020, I said, oh my goodness, everyone's going to have plantar fasciitis and uh, Achilles tendonitis, says one of the uh, Pennsylvania podiatric... Medical associate. Is that how you say a podiatric? He's a podiatrist, right? So podiatric, I guess. <laughs> All right. So gave you a lot today to think about. Let me just share with you before I leave you for the day. Uh, this is now the mayor of New York City whining that anyone who writes negative stories about him, it's because they're racist. OK, this is Mayor um, uh, New York City Mayor Adams. This is what he said today. And remember, crime is out of control in New York City. There's a lot of questions on this. But uh, it's actually just because he's a black man that people are writing negative stories about him and his city. We need to really stop distorting the news. You know, I'm going to say this. And, you know, I'm not saying it out of hate. I'm saying it out of love. I'm a black man. That's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? How many Asians? How many East Indians? How many South Asians? Everybody talks about my government being diversified. What's the diversification in the newsrooms? So everybody go back with their predispositions and my role as mayor is being interpreted through the prisms of your realities and not mine. So when you write stories, you're not writing stories for people who was almost homeless like me. You're not writing stories for people who were arrested and beat by police officers. You're not writing stories from those who are dealing with high crime. Does this guy not know that the most liberal media in the world are in his city, in New York City? Does he not know that? I mean, has he not read his own, his own newspapers? Uh, all right, let, let's do this. Let me, let me leave you with this, okay? Because I think this is very, very important. And by the way, why is the Patriot Act trending on Twitter um, yes, because people are, are uh, pointing out that uh, there was a complete and utter violation of the Patriot Act and spying on Trump. Yes, that's true. Um, I, they never should have renewed it. I think it was a mistake for President Trump to renew the Patriot Act and FISA. I do, and I said it at the same time. I said, please don't renew it. And please, don't, don't renew those acts. They need major, serious major reform. I said that at the time, or I remember saying that at the time. Because they would be abused and they'd be weaponized and that's the way it would be. But let me do this. It's been, we've uh, gotten through a lot with you. We're on the verge of World War III. So uh, we could all use uh, a funny story. So let's have a little bit of a funny, uplifting story from, uh, from Grandpa Biden. You know, sometimes Grandpa will tell a funny story 
about putting a dead dog on a woman's uh, on a woman's doorstep. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, for for yucks. We like to we like some yucks, don't we? I like some yucks. How about you? I got a call one night. A woman said to me, obviously not of the same persuasion as I was politically, called me and said, there's a dead dog on my lawn. And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, have you called the county? He said, yes, they're not here. And I said, well, I'll get them in the morning. She said, I want it removed now. I pay your salary. So I went over. I picked it up. She said, I want it out of my front yard. I put it on her doorstep. There you go. Put a dead dog on her doorstep because I disagree with her politically. <laughs> I showed her Biden's civility. Hey, he'll be here all week, everybody. Shecky Biden. Be here all week. Try the veal. It's the best in the city. Try the foie gras. You can't. It's illegal now. That's right. Try the impossible, uh, impossible burger. It's great. Only has 642 ingredients in it. And don't forget to tip your waitresses. Actually, they don't have enough waitresses. They're short-staffed. Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.